it's good to see you here this morning as we worship our God together. In the back of your bulletins are the announcements. <clears throat> we will be having lunch together and then an afternoon service. This afternoon, Micah Smith will be here to open the Word of God, so be a part of that, I trust. Wednesday, we'll meet on Zoom for prayer meeting. Ladies Bible study on Saturday at the Joe White's home, so keep that in mind. Again, next Sunday, we'll have the baptism, God willing, of uh, Quentin Perry. So I would imagine there'll be a few visitors with us. So when you sign up for lunch next week, you know, think about extra people being here. And uh, so there's plenty for that. And then the baby bottles are available. If you didn't pick up one last week, please pick one up and then have them back here by Father's Day, filled with coins or currency or check. Uh, for the Care Pregnancy Center. So those are the announcements uh, this morning. Well, now as we worship our God together, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 42, we have the story of Mary and Martha. You know that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus to be instructed while Martha was busy doing all kinds of other things. J.C. Ryle writes concerning Mary, for we read there, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken from her. So J.C. Ryle writes, This was said for the sake of all believing people in every part of the world. They were met to encourage all true Christians to be singled eye and wholehearted, to follow Christ fully, and to walk closely with our God. Well, may God use our time together to cause us as the people of God to follow Christ fully and to walk close with our God. Will you prepare your hearts to meet with God this morning? Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It is that familiar text where Joshua calls upon the people to choose this day whom they will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May we have the same resolution. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him only in sincerity and truth. 
Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Well, may that be true of each one of us. Now let us take our Trinity hymn books and turn to number 26. 26 in your Trinity hymn books. Our God, our help, in ages past, our hope for years to come. Number 26.
pray. Oh Lord, thank you for bringing each one of us here this day to worship you, draw us on to thee in the proclamation of your word, and remind us, as this hymn has, that we have but one life to live to serve you, and that uh, this is that life, this is the time that you have raised us up to be your servants. Help us to carry the word forth um, diligently and truthfully to our generation as we have but this one chance. And we also only have this chance to call upon you if we don't already. There will be no other day. May it be that this is the day that some here would hear your voice and be drawn onto you. Quicken them that they do not tarry. And give us this purpose in this life to uh, be your servants, to come together with your people, to worship and honor you and to serve you. And and be with us this day and may your word be um, brought home with power by your spirit to our hearts that we may be lifted up and um, strengthened to love you more and to serve you better. For your glory and honor, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And again, in your Trinity hymn books, 488, 488, lead on, O King Eternal, the day of March has come. 488.
Today's reading will be from Matthew 21. As you're turning to Matthew 21, we see Christ at the doorstep of his crucifixion. Um, These are the days leading up to it. In a few short days, he will offer himself up for the sins of his people. And... uh, As he enters Jerusalem, there's this glorious procession that uh, he has not experienced before or since uh, on this earth. And uh, they are laying their garments before him and cutting down palm branches and casting them before the uh, colt that he rode upon. And they are proclaiming Hosanna uh, in the highest before him. And this riled the, his enemies, the Pharisees and the priests that opposed him. And it leads to conflict in this passage between him and these Pharisees. And it comes to a head, and Jesus tells them in no uncertain terms that it's going to be taken away from them and given to another. And that's exactly what has happened. So follow along as we read Matthew 21. When they had approached Jerusalem and come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, And he said on the coats, Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting down branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. 
And he, lent, and he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Now in the morning, when he was entering to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig by the road, fig tree, excuse me, by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was it was from what source, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. Which, by the way, is a lie. He also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority do I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Go, work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? And just as a short intermission here, uh, the two groups of people here were the publicans and uh, prostitutes who were told to go serve God, and they refused, but after contemplating it and being drawn, they went. But the Pharisees and chief priests said, I will serve you, Lord, but they did not go. They had no desire in their heart to do it. <coughs> All right. Let me, I didn't put my finger where I was at. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said, the first, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put up a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower 
and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent a son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. This morning, this morning as we go to prayer once again, we want to remember the Grace Church there in Downingtown, Pennsylvania with Pastor Lush. Let's seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, many of us that have gathered in this place this morning are indeed grateful for the salvation that you have provided us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We are thankful that he was sent into this world, lived among men, was tempted in every point as we are, and yet he was without sin, and therefore is that perfect sacrifice which is necessary in order that men might be reconciled to God. So, Father, many of us give you thanks that by your grace, through the work of your Son, we've been reconciled to Jesus Christ. And we pray that as the people of God, it would be our desire to follow you fully, that we would be a people devoted to you above everything else, that we seek first the kingdom of God, that we are resolute, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Help us, we pray. The temptation is real to resist that call. The temptation is real to become complacent and lazy with regard to our walk with you. And how we pray that, Father, our zeal, our enthusiasm would always be of top priority as we live in this world that others may know that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ, even in how we live. And where we have failed to do that, we pray that you would forgive us. And Father, work in our hearts and cause us to be a people that are zealously affected, always in a good thing. Father, we pray this morning that you would be with your word as it goes forth. 
in various places around the world. Use it, we pray, to bring many into the kingdom of God. Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters there in Downingtown. And Father, we pray you'll bless their gathering today and this evening. May Father may know of your presence among them. We pray that you would be with Pastor Lush as he seeks to shepherd the flock of God there in that place. Thank you for his many years of diligently laboring for the good of your kingdom. And Father, we pray for that church even now that you will give them wisdom and discernment even with regard to Dalton Bowser, a man recently they've become acquainted with. Father, we pray that as they seek to move to that area, that you might provide for them housing. And then, Father, as he gets to know the people, as he lives among them, that, Father, you might be pleased to raise up from that man another elder who would be able to work alongside Pastor Lush. But, Father, we pray this morning they might know of your presence and your goodness as they assemble together. Meet with us, we pray as well. Draw near to us. May the Word of God come and be effective in each one of our hearts and lives to the glory of our God as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your hymns of grace, hymns of grace turning to 353, O church arise and put your armor on. 353.
Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11. We'll be making our way through this whole chapter together, but let me begin by just reading one verse, and that's verse 26. Deuteronomy 11, 26, where we read these words. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. When we come to open up this 11th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, we come to what I believe is the final section of Moses' instruction concerning that first word of the Ten Commandments. That instruction began back in chapter 6 and goes through the end of chapter 11. It, it is instruction that has focused upon these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. It is a command that calls every believer to have an exclusive devotion to God. An exclusive devotion to God. You see, very rarely did the children of Israel get rid of Jehovah. But they added other gods to their portfolio. We will follow Jehovah, but we will also follow these other gods. To be a people fully devoted to God, what does that look like? Well, Jerry Bridges in his book, The Practice of Godliness, writes these words. Devotion to God consists of three essential elements. The fear of God, the love of God, and a desire or a passion for God. To be fully devoted to God involves a fear of God, a love of God, a desire for God. So Moses now begins to reflect upon all that he has said up to this point concerning the reality that you're not to allow another God to be before me. Do not put them in front of my face. But be a people fully committed to me. And Moses is writing now to a second generation. The first generation have all died in the wilderness. The first generation did not fear God as they ought. The first generation built the golden calf. The, the first generation rebelled at times against God. The first generation did not believe God and refused to enter into the land when God brought them to that place. 
But now he speaks to another generation. And basically he's saying, are you going to be different than your fathers? Are you going to be a people who are continually, exclusively devoted to God? And so as he sort of summarizes many of the things he's already said in this chapter, we see that it breaks down into three parts. There's first of all, a call to the present generation. That is the second generation, a call. Secondly, there's a charge given concerning future generations. And then finally, there's a conclusion that would certainly apply to each one of us. How often do our relationships change? And how often has your relationship changed with God? It's amazing over the years how many things will change. I recently wrote a letter to my granddaughter. It, it was an assignment that she had. She is in sixth grade, getting ready to go into seventh, and, and they've asked various ones to, to write her a letter that they're going to put in a capsule and in six years, when she graduates from high school, she'll open the capsule and will read the letters. In my letter, I just reminded her that things are always changing. I, I say in the letter something along this line, you're getting ready to graduate high school. So six years have passed since I wrote this letter. Who knows how many changes will take place? And then I gave her the illustration. And I illustrated it this way. From the time I graduated high school till now, there's been a lot of changes. In about four weeks from now, I'll be going to Indianapolis, God willing, in order to meet with my classmates for our 40, unbelievable, 49th class reunion. Wow. I told her some of those changes that have taken place were interesting. When I graduated high school, the average cost of a house was $32,500. Today, the average cost of a house, $200,000. The average cost of a New car was $3,200 back when I graduated high school. Now the average cost of a new car is $22,000. Things have changed. <laughs> I told her the average cost of a gallon of gasoline when I graduated high school, 40 cents. Boy, wouldn't you love to drive down a street and see a sign? 40 cents. The average cost of a gallon of gasoline today is $4.43. Things change. 
But I reminded her that there are some things that, whether it was in 1973 or in, in 2028 when she graduates, there are some things that will not change. God's love for His people. God's goodness. God can be trusted. I told her a few other things on a personal level that I pray have not changed in the eight years between the time I wrote the letter and the time she will read the letter. But I also encouraged her in eight years from now when she reads that letter that I trust that what has changed is her relationship to God and in this way that you know Him better and that you love Him more. And you're more enthusiastic about Him. Now I say all that because here in Deuteronomy 11, that's Moses' concern. Are you going to be a people who are as enthusiastic about God and devoted to God many years from now as you are right now? What will it be? And so as we come to open up this chapter together, and there are many things. I, there, there probably are ten sermons in this chapter by itself. I'm going to try to reduce it to one. But the first thing we notice here is the call. The call to the present generation. That's the first 17 verses. He says, verse 1, You shall therefore love the Lord your God always, Keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, His commandments. Know this day that I am not speaking with your sons who have not known or who have not seen the discipline or the instruction of the Lord, your God, His greatness, His mighty hand, His outstretched arm, and His signs and works which He did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh and the king of Egypt and to all his land, and what he did to Egypt's army, to its horses and chariots, when he made the waters of the Red Sea to engulf them while they were pursuing you, and the Lord completely destroyed them, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Datham and Abiam, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them in their household, their tents and their living things that followed them among all Israel. But you, but your own eyes have seen all the great work the Lord which He did. You shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land to which you are about to cross to possess it, so that you may prolong your days on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land into which you are entering to possess it is not the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden, but a land into which you are about to cross and possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drink water from rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares 
The eye of the Lord your God is always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. It shall come about if you listen, obey my command, which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. And he will give grass to your field for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and He will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Here's the call. The call to this present generation. He says, I'm not speaking with your sons who have not known or have not seen the discipline or the instructions of the, of the Lord your God. I'm talking to you. You're a generation that has seen the mighty hand of God at work. You're a generation that watched. I mean, they were young. They, they, they were they were young people when they left Egypt. They're now probably somewhere between 40 and 60 years old. But, but some of them have real recollection of that time when they left Egypt. And, and as they're leaving Egypt and they, they see Pharaoh and his army coming and, and they have that sense of anxiety. What's going to happen? And, and they watch God part the Red Sea and then, and then the horse and rider thrown into the sea. They watch that. And, and therefore, there's an expectation. That's the first thing. An expectation that comes with the privileges that you've seen. And he says here, you should love the Lord your God and always keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinance, His commandments. I'm speaking to a people that it is not unreasonable to say that you ought to love God with all your being and you ought to serve Him and you ought to fear Him. He goes on to say, verse 8, Keep every commandment I'm commanding you today so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land. Verse 13, if you listen to my commandments, which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then he will give you rain. It is an expectation that doesn't come out of a sense of drudgery. It's not a burdensome thing. It is, it is drawn out of a heart that sees God's mighty work. They've heard God's voice. They've had God write out His commandments with His very own fingers. He is the God who has protected them, redeemed them, cared for them, provided for them. Now love this God with all your heart. That's the expectation. But then notice, he also just rehearses for them their advantages. 
And he reminds them of certain things that they need to consider, the advantages that they've enjoyed. Moses says, your own eyes have seen all the great works the Lord of the Lord which he did. Consider what God did there in the land of Egypt. Consider how, how God's rod became a, a servant. Consider the plagues, the frogs, the flies, the dead cattle, the hell, the locusts, the darkness. And, and even remember the cry of the city when the firstborn of the Egyptians were all killed. Remember these things. And remember how God has delivered you from bondage that you once lived when you lived in Egypt. Consider these things. Consider the wilderness. Nobody needs to tell you about manna. You know why? Because you had the privilege of going out and picking up manna and eating it. No one has to tell you about the plagues. You saw them take. No one has to tell you about the Passover and what that means. You lived through it. Nobody has to tell you about the cloud of fire by night and the cloud by day because you saw it. These were all the advantages that you had. Nobody has to tell you about the wrath of God. You've seen it. You've, ex you, you've watched it when Danath and Abiram were swallowed up when they rebelled against God. You read about this in Numbers chapter 16. They rebelled at choosing Moses to be their leader. And God opened the earth and swallowed those men up. You've seen all these things. Consider them. Think about them. And then love and fear God. Love and fear God. As you obey, as you fear, as you love, certain results will happen. So you have the expectation. You're to love and fear and obey God. You see the advantages of seeing the mighty works of God in your midst. And then you hear throughout the results. Verse 13, And it will come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I'm commanding you to love, to serve him with all your heart and soul. He will give you rain for your land in its season, early rain and late rain. God will give you good gifts, good things as you obey him, as you listen to him. This is what God's promised. And so Moses here calls upon a people to love God with all their heart. And he calls upon us to do the same thing. As people who've been delivered by God, as people who have been freed from the bondage of sin, sin no longer has dominion over us, as people who have known the care, the protection, the provision of God, love Him. O obey Him. Be exclusively devoted to Him. 
be enthusiastic about Him. Let me ask you, your relationship to God right now, how is it? Some may have to say, well, Pastor, it's been better. I, I can remember days of having real enthusiasm about getting into the Bible and, 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 and studying the Bible. And I can remember days in which I gave myself to prayer. And, and I can remember days in which I wanted to share the Gospel with others. I, I can remember days waking up thinking, I, I want to glorify and honor God. I remember those days. But what about now? What's your present condition and what is your present relationship with Almighty God? A question that I've been asked more than once is what are, what are the, the challenges that come with long-term ministry? What are the challenges that come when you've been in one place for a long period of time and pastored the same people in the same church for a long period of time. And there are many challenges, I tell them, you know. One challenge is this voice. I mean, some of you have listened to this voice for many, many, many years. And many, many more years. And I always have this fear that this voice has become awful, so familiar. And that it's easy to tune this voice out after a while because you've heard it so much. That's, that's one danger. One challenge. But another challenge that I usually speak about when they ask that question is this. It's the, it's the heartbreak of seeing people who at one time, and I'm not saying everybody, but, but, but over the years to seeing people who at one time were so enthusiastic about God, about being with God's people, about growing in their relationship to God. They, 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 they were concerned about dealing with sin aright. And by and by, that's waned. And that enthusiasm isn't there like it once was. Some of us can remember days. Remember back in the days when we, when we used to have those family conferences? Remember those days? People were so excited. So, oh, another family conference. We can't, to, to hear, and I know we're living in a different time. You know, I mean, back in those days, if you wanted to hear a certain guy, you had to go to family conference. Nowadays, you can click on a computer and listen to them all you want. But there was such enthusiasm in those days about the truth that we find in God's Word. Does that wane? Is that less? Well, Moses didn't want that to happen to these people. And therefore, he reminds them of their blessed privileges and there he reminds them of their expectations as they go into this new land and possess it. Well, that's, that's then the call. Secondly, there's the charge. The charge given concerning future generations. And that starts in verse 18 and goes through verse 25. Follow. 
You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your hearts and on your souls, and you shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And you shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. For if you are not careful to keep this commandment for which I am commanding you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all of His ways and to hold fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you. And you will... Deposits nation, deposits nations greater and mightier than you. And every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, and your border shall be from the wilderness of Lebanon, from the river of the river Euphrates, as far as the western sea. No man will be able to stand before you, the Lord your God, no man will be able to stand before you. The Lord your God will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on the land on which you set your foot as he has spoken to you. So here, here we have what I call the charge to the coming generation. He says to us, and he, he repeats what he said back in chapter 6. Remember he said basically the same thing back in chapter 6. You have a responsibility to tell your children. You have a responsibility to tell a story. Look over to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Psalm 78 and verse 1. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to be a storyteller. And I'm going to tell you a story about all the things that God has done. I want you to know these things. What happens if the only thing you ever know is the promised land? What happens to a generation where the only thing they know is they have cisterns that they have not dug, they have houses that are they're full, full, but they did not fill, they have vineyards, they have trees that they did not plant. They eat and are satisfied. What happens to that generation that only knows of those realities? They lose their understanding of the great works and the mighty works of God in their midst. And that's why they need to be told. So notice... Again, the charge. Teach the ways and works of God to the children. Teach it. How does that begin? Well, he says, 
you shall therefore impress these words of mine which are on your hearts and are on your souls. These things are, are real to mom and dad. Remember previously, Moses said, what, how will you answer your children when they ask, why do we do these things? Not what are these things. We understand what God says. We understand that these are God's Word. But why is it that we do these things? And you remember what Moses' answer was? His answer wasn't, well, because God said so. No, his answer was, you tell them, God redeems you. He redeems you. And you tell them of what you've experienced by the goodness of God, the mighty acts of God in your life. Tell your children, may these things be real to you. May you be sincere. May they be planted on your heart. Teach them. Live by them. What hope is there for another generation? It isn't going to come because you make sure they're in church every Sunday. It's going to come one of the primary means. Now I know, you know, you don't need to, well, isn't that up to God how God works? We can't, I understand that aspect. But at the end of the day, one of the primary means that God uses to write these things on the hearts of our children is to see mom and dad sincere, to see mom and dad who have these things written on their hearts and therefore tell their children. This is how I live. Because these things are written on my heart. I sometimes fear for the next generation. Not because they haven't heard the truth. But how often have they seen the truth lived out in mom and dad's life? Now, I know God's got open hearts. And I know God can only, by His grace, save our children. But I pray Satan will not give our children the opportunity to oppose God for this reason. I saw how my parents lived. And watching how they lived as Two who profess faith in Christ. I want nothing to do with it. Moses says, these things written on our hearts, these things lived out every day, will be an instrument that will teach your children. It will teach the coming generation. Mom and Dad, if our love for God is lukewarm, then don't be surprised if the next generation is even colder.
Now, I know, because I don't want to put people on guilt trips that don't need the guilt trip. I know there are some of our children who have heard the instruction of God, they've seen it lived out, and they've still gone their own way. If that happens, you can put your head down on your pillow at night and say, Lord, not perfectly, but we sought to live these things out. We believe these things. Would you bring our children home? Have mercy upon them? I understand that happens. It does happen. But when the Apostle Paul says to fathers, do not exasperate your children, he's not saying, you know, make sure in your home your children are always happy. Because your children are always going to be happy. You know? No child enjoys, well, maybe there is someone, but few children enjoy taking the afternoon to clean up their room that they've messed up all week. And so you tell them, go to fix, clean up your room, and they're like, oh, I don't want to do it. All right? But what, what does he mean, don't exasperate your children? And that is, he's saying here, don't say one thing and live a different way. And then he sets down not only the charge, the essence of the charge, but then the motive. The motive. He tells them, if you do this, man, you'll have victory over your enemies. There's the promise of peace, security even as they enter into the land. And this isn't, you know, God isn't saying, you know, you follow me and you're going to get that brand new car. You follow me and no doubt a Porsche is going to be in your driveway by the end of the day. No, He's saying, you know what? There's going to be a good relationship between you and your God. So that's the charge given. But then we come thirdly in this chapter to the conclusion the conclusion in verses 26 through verse 33. He says, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and a curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way in which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. And it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, that you shall place blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not across the Jordan, west of the, west of the way towards the sunset, the land of the Canaanites who live in Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the oak of Moray. For you are about to cross the Jordan and go to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall possess it and live in it, and you shall be careful to do all the statutes, the judgments which I am setting before you today. Here, Moses sort of concludes everything. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't do that. And he sets before them here in this conclusion three sets of two. First of all, there's two options. Two options. There's blessing and there's curse. There's a blessing and a curse. It's either one or the other. One or the other. 
The blessing will come to those who listen. And that word listen means to listen with the purpose of obeying the commandment. The curse will come to those who will not listen to the command and turn aside and follow after other gods. Moses makes it clear. It's one or the other. Either a blessing or a curse. There's no middle ground. One commentator talks about once they enter into the land, they would either be completely for God or totally against Him. The language that is used here is deliberately uncompromising. A blessing or a curse. One or the other. So there, there are these two options. Secondly, there are two mountains. He says when you enter in to the land... There are these two mountains, Mount Garrison and Mount Ebal. And so as you're walking into the city, you'll see these two mountains. And you're walking in between. And I want you to stop. And, and I want you to have a little ceremony there. On the one hand, you have Mount Garrison, which is the Mount of Blessing. On the other side, you have Mount Ebal which is the Mount of Cursing. And it's to, it's to serve as a reminder to you. As you're entering into this land, you will either know blessing or curse. One or the other. We, we, we see this imagery used again in chapter 27. But we see the fulfillment of this when they entered into the, mount, enter into the land and they have this ceremony in, in Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8 in verses 30 through 35. And, and they come and they stand between these two mountains. And, and it would be a constant reminder to them. A blessing or a curse. No middle ground. A blessing or a curse. And so then he says... There are two consequences. Two consequences. They will come to have a blessing or they will come to have a curse. And I, I think we've got to think biblically here. What, what, what is a blessing? What's a curse? And I believe what he's speaking of here is the relationship that we have with God. We think of blessing being the promised land. We think of blessing being houses that are full, vineyards that are already planted, cisterns that are already dug. What a blessing. But, but I believe Moses is pointing to this. This is a result of the blessing. The blessing is you have a good relationship with Almighty God. God smiles upon what you do. God is well pleased. What's a curse? Well, we tend to think of a curse as some, some magical formula that somebody places upon us and bad things come to us. God becomes angry. That's a result of the curse. The earth opens up and swallows people. That, that's a result of the curse. But really, a, a curse is to be removed from the loving care of God, from the enjoyment of God, to be in exile against God. 
And so, my friend, here's the question. I mean, every one of us has played. Are we, are we experiencing a blessing? Are we enjoying God? Is there a living, loving, intimate, wonderful relationship with God that you're enjoying today? Or, or is your relationship with God like a dried up fruit that's been in the back of your refrigerator for the last three months? Which is it? Which is it? What will be? For generations to come, will they, will they know of God's favor and blessing? Or will it be different? I think, let me see if I can find it. I think it's Judges. Judges chapter 2. Yes, Judges chapter 2. Joshua is about ready. He, he's, de- he's died. In verse 9, it says they buried him in the territory of the inheritance. Verse 10 says, All that generation also were gathered together, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord nor yet the work which God had done for Israel. One generation from Joshua. It says they did not know the Lord, nor the work God had done for Israel. Apparently somebody quit teaching. Somebody quit telling the story. And in the next generation, they did not know the Lord, nor what He had done for them. How sad. How sad. And you may think to yourself, and we may think, that'll never happen. My friends, we're always one generation away. That's the reality. Because at the end of the day, who's to say we don't become like the church at Ephesus? That we lose our first love. That we lose our first love. Dear people, The Word of God warns us that before Christ comes again, men will become lawless. And most people, their love will grow cold. Perhaps some of us would have to confess this morning, our love has grown cold in our relationship to God. Has your love grown cold? Or is there a zeal and enthusiasm for Almighty God. I love Psalm one. I love Psalm sixty-three. Psalm sixty-three, the psalmist expresses his thirst for God, and as we pray for one another, how we ought to pray that we would all know something of this thirst. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I thirst for God. Where is that thirst? Where's that yearning? Well, may may God help us to be a people that are ever changing our relationship to God, but changing because we're more in love with Him. 
we've experienced more of His goodness and His grace and His protection and His provision. Are we going to be different? Are we going to be the same? That's what Moses is saying, folks. Are you going to be just like your fathers? Are you going to love me, fear me, and be devoted to me? Oh, may God help us. Let's pray. Father, we do give You thanks for the instruction that we receive from Your Word. Uh, we've been a people who've been blessed abundantly. You have cared for us. You have kept us. You have provided for us. And yet, Father, we know that we are vulnerable to be a people who lose their first love, to become zealous and passionate about so many other things that our passion and enthusiasm for God isn't what it once was. Oh, Father, we pray that we would grow more and that our lives would demonstrate it, that, that we are a people more taken up with God than ever before in our lives. And so, Father, we pray that we might learn from the children of old and that by Your grace we would press on and by Your grace we would grow in our love and devotion to You. Thank You that many, many are doing just that. How we bless You for that. And Father, we pray that they would continue to do so, but we're concerned about some. Father, You know our hearts. May You ever be working, bringing us closer to You. As we ask these things in Christ's name, Amen. In closing, let us take our hymns of grace, turning to 339, 339. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. It was interesting, I was reading about this hymn. And there were some who said they didn't like this hymn. In fact, some hymn books have changed it to rise up, O saints of God, because it only refers to men. Rise up, O men of God. And, and the reason he wrote it that way, from what I read, was because the women were already busy pursuing God, pursuing His work. And, and the man who wrote this hymn said, I want to challenge the men to rise up. So if we're a man, may God challenge us to rise up and serve Him. But if you're a lady, let's think of this as men generic. People, saints, rise up and use all that He gives us to serve the King of Kings. 339. Let's stand together as we sing.
questions. If you're able, you'll stay for lunch and be in the afternoon around 1.30.